Hi, I'm Lisa Moore, one of the pastors here at GT Church in Victoria, BC. Welcome to our podcast. All of the content you'll find here is meant to point you to Jesus and to encourage you in your journey wherever you're at. Enjoy the message. Good morning, church. It's good to be together today, continuing in our series on heroes. I hope that you've been tracking with us, and if not, you can always watch previous messages online or on our YouTube channel, but we're we're discovering some heroes in the Bible that you may have heard of, you may not have heard of, but there's a story in each one and a lesson for us. And so we're going to tag off of last week when Andy preached about Caleb and the story of Caleb um, as the Israelites finally took possession and stepped into the promised land after 40 years. And so Joshua and Caleb together led the Israelites into the promised land, and and Joshua was an old man at that point, and before he died, he gathered all the leaders of the Israelite nations, tribes, and reminded them of God's promises and God's instruction for them. And he said to them, remember to fear God. Remember not to turn to any idols of the nations surrounding you. Keep your heart pure. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he'll turn disaster upon you. And the people responded, no, we will serve God. We'll serve the Lord our God and obey him only. And as you may know, the story of the Old Testament is actually similar to the story of humanity, where without a redeemer, the people just continued to fall into idolatry. They rebelled. They started to serve the gods and intermarry with the nations around them. And then God would bring judgment on them from the nations around them and oppress them. And the people would cry out for God's mercy And in his mercy, he would send them a a deliverer, which was called a judge. And he sent them many judges over the period of 400 years, where when the judge would come, they'd follow the judge, and there'd be peace again in Israel, and they'd turn their hearts back to God. And then the judge would die, and they'd turn back to idolatry. And it was this cycle that we saw over and over, we see over and over through the book of Judges um, for 400 years. And so this is the place where we find ourselves this morning. We're going to be looking at the story and the book and the character of Ruth. And so she takes place, this book takes place right in this period of the Judges. This is a story about a normal Israelite family. So if you're a normal person today and you feel just average and normal, God's going to speak to you. He has a message for you in this story because there's nothing really special about them. But I'm confident that God's going to speak to you about how he meets you in the normalness of life. This is a normal family facing some very real challenges, which we all do. So at the beginning of the book of Ruth, we meet this family that has to relocate to a neighboring nation because of a famine in Israel. So Elimelech and Naomi are the husband and wife. They have two sons, and they move to the nearby country temporarily called Moab. Now, Moab has a bad reputation in the Bible. Uh, Moab was a nation, but it also started as a man. And the man, Moab, came out of an incestuous relationship between Lot and his daughter, And so not a good start. This nation became a pagan nation with many gods, and they became an enemy of Israel, lots of tension, lots of turmoil. But this is where they find themselves because they need food. So they they relocate their family to Moab, and in time, as they're there, Naomi's husband dies. Within several years, both of her sons also die. And before they died, they had both married Moabite women, two young women from Moab named Orpah and Ruth. And so Naomi is left with these two young women who are Moabites, who are her only surviving relatives. The three of them are there together. Naomi's lost everything. She's lost her husband. She's lost her sons. She's away from her home, living in a foreign land. 
And she hears eventually that God's provided food for the Israelites again, and, and the famine is over, so she prepares to return home. And she, she says to her daughters-in-law, girls, I bless you to stay here. I bless you to stay in your own home and to find husbands so that you can have a future. In that day, a young woman who was widowed had no future, no hope, because she had nobody to take care of her. And so her hope was in finding a husband who could provide for her. So she said, would you stay? Stay in your homeland. Find a husband. Get married so you can have a future. Um, they don't want to leave her. But she begs them to stay and says, there's no future for me. There's no hope for me. Basically, my life is over. My life is bitter. In fact, she says, you should rename me Mara, which means bitterness, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. So Naomi's vulnerable. She's broken. She's hopeless. She's in a terrible state. And, and so the girls have this sad moment, and Orpah, the one daughter-in-law, sadly agrees to part ways with Naomi in tears and hugs and kisses, and she goes back to her homeland. But Ruth, the heroine of our story, refuses to leave Naomi. And she says one of the most beautiful things, actually one of the most famous quotes in the book of Ruth that you may have heard. It's gonna be up on the screen. Ruth chapter one, verse 16. This is what she says to Naomi. She says, Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Wow. So this is a bold statement on Ruth's part. Her sister-in-law has gone, and she just clings on to Naomi and says, I'm not going. She's not just saying, hey, why don't I accompany you on this trip? Why don't I be your companion as you walk this long journey home? She's literally walking away from everything she's ever known to stand by Naomi's side and restart her life in a completely foreign land that she's never been to. Right from the beginning of this story in Ruth, we see this deep sense of loyalty and fierce loyalty and faithfulness to her mother-in-law. This is not a message about mother-in-laws, okay? We're going to do, do Mother's Day next week, and we love our moms. We love our mother-in-laws. We honor them. This is a message about faithfulness and about the plan of God for ordinary people. So like I said, if you feel ordinary in this space, this is a message for you. Okay, so Ruth, like Caleb last week, if you heard Andy's message, Ruth is an outsider. She doesn't belong in Israel. She, she's not Israelite. She's not part of God's chosen people. She's, but she's given up everything. She's given up her culture. She's given up her people. She's given up these gods that she serves to be faithful to Naomi, and not just to Naomi, but to the God of Israel, to Naomi's God. She takes him as her own God. So you see this incredible contrast between the nation during the time of the judges that's just continually rebelling and disobedient and living outside of the protection and blessing of God. And then you see this one woman who's not even an Israelite, who's faithful to God, who chooses him, who has integrity, and who lives out this virtue of faithfulness. The definition of faithfulness is steadfast in affection or allegiance steadfast loyalty that isn't easily swayed. And we see this in Ruth. Ruth chooses faithfulness even when it costs her something. In fact, it costs her a lot. It costs her everything. And I think about our lives, and I think about the fact that faithfulness costs us something as well. We have to turn away from something in order to be faithful to something else, don't we? To be faithful in your job, you have to say no to laziness. You have to get up every morning when your alarm rings and put in the hard work of going to work day after day and being faithful to your job. To be faithful in your marriage, you have to close the door on all other options. 
even when it's tempting, all other possibilities. You say no to say yes and stay faithful to your marriage to be faithful in your calling and what God's called you to do. You have to say no to that trap of comparing yourself to others and saying, what if I did this? What if it looked like that? You close the door on that and you just focus on what God's called you to do and you be faithful. So the story continues and they arrive back in Israel. An important detail is they actually arrive in Bethlehem. And Ruth immediately gets to work to say, I have to provide for Naomi. I'm the young one. I'm the one that has the ability and, and not a lot of skills, but enough youth to go and work and get food for us. We don't have husbands, we don't have means, we don't have any land, no livelihood, but I'm gonna take responsibility for our well-being. And so she goes to glean leftover grain from a farmer's field. Now there's a couple of Jewish laws we're gonna learn about today, and, and they're really beautiful laws because they show the heart of God for people that are vulnerable. The first one is that a law that requires farmers, when they're harvesting, to leave the edges of their field unharvested, to just leave all the leftover grain there, and also to not pick up anything that they drop while they're harvesting, so they're harvesting by hand. And so whatever they, they drop, they leave it behind for those who are vulnerable, for those that are poor and marginalized. And I just love that even in the Old Testament, we see this heart of God to provide for the widow, to provide for the orphan and for the poor. And this is exactly what's happening here. This is a picture of God's love for us, even back this far, God's love for humanity, his grace for us. And so there's this law, and Ruth takes advantage of it. So she goes to a nearby field that belongs to a man named Boaz, a man of good standing, and who happens to be a close relative of Naomi's. Now, Boaz has heard about Ruth's faithfulness to Naomi, and when he finds out she's been gleaning in his fields he, and, and faithfully working all day, she works without stopping, she's diligent, she keeps her head down and works hard all day long, and so he goes above and beyond to provide for her. He says, hey, stay here in my field. Only glean here. I'm gonna make sure you're taken care of. In fact, come and have lunch with, with all of my workers. Have water whenever you need it. Um, he tells his workers to leave extra, actually, for her to pick up. As you're picking up stuff, just drop a few extra stocks so she can have some more. And he instructs the women to come alongside her, to take care of her, to be kind to her. And at the end of the day, he sends her home with extra grain for her and Naomi, more than enough. So he's rewarding her for this faithfulness that he sees in her towards Naomi. And true faithfulness will always be rewarded. Staying steadfast and, and loyal in your job, staying steadfast in affection to your spouse, staying steadfast in what God's called you to do, he will always honor it. He will always reward that. Ruth trusts God and she does what's just right in front of her to do. And she does it with all her heart. So a couple questions I want you to consider for your own life as you think about faithfulness. First of all, what has God called you to do? And you may have a hard time because you don't feel like it's very glamorous. It's like picking up wheat stalks in a field is not very glamorous, but that's what was right in front of her to do. That's what she was called to do in that moment. So what has God called you to do? What's right in front of you? What's in your hand? Do you have a business that you run? an opportunity to bless people through it? Do you have a computer that you work on that you can be diligent and loyal and faithful in and be a blessing to others? Do you have um, a household to run? Not glamorous, but that's what God's given you. Do you have scissors in your hand because you're a hairdresser and you're gonna do that with all your heart and minister to people in your chair? Do you have a tool in your hand because God's called you to build 
and do construction. It's simple, but that's what's in your hand and that's what you have to do. Do you have a, a creative gift? God wants you to use what he's given you, what he's put right in front of you, what he's put in your hand, maybe for this season. Maybe it's a lifelong gift that you have, but maybe it's just for right now. And it doesn't have to be glamorous, but he asks us to serve him with it, not to bury it. Jesus tells a story of um, the talents, a parable of the talents in the New Testament. He says, don't bury those gifts. Use the gifts that God's given you. So that's the first question. What has God called you to? And the second one is similar, but it's who has God called you to? And I would ask you to just look around. Who's in your life? Who's in your world? Who lives in your house with you? That's pretty clear indication of who God's called you to. And guess what? You don't choose those people. You don't choose always who God puts in your life or who's in your family. Naomi didn't choose Ruth. Her son chose Ruth. But Ruth chose Naomi to be faithful to out of her own free will and loyalty. So we're called to care for the people that God's put around us, to honor them, to serve them, sometimes to provide for them. And so it's, they're simple questions, but sometimes we forget that it's what's right in front of us is what God's called us to and who God's called us to. Who are the people in your life that you have opportunity to show faithfulness to on a daily basis? Your spouse, your family. Sometimes they're the hardest, aren't they? Because you didn't choose them. Your friends. The Bible tells us in Proverbs not to forsake our friends, and there's a sweetness in a friend's heartfelt advice. Our faithfulness to our loved ones means loving them even when it's difficult, caring for them even when they're ungracious or they're unkind. I think you have, you have some people coming into your mind. You have a storyline in your mind. I know I do. It means thinking well of people instead of assuming the worst, instead of assuming the worst of their intentions. It means offering them godly counsel and coming alongside them when they need help and building them up when they feel weak. That's how we show faithfulness to the people in our lives. There should be evidence of faithfulness in our lives because faithfulness is a fruit of the Spirit. And so when we're walking in line with Jesus, when we're walking by the power of God's Spirit, faithfulness should be produced in us in that list of fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness. It's found right in there. So there should be evidence of faithfulness in our lives. Being a faithful person also shows itself in faithfulness in our relationship with God. Faithfulness to God means we trust him and love him through all circumstances. We trust that he sees us, and that he cares for us. We trust that he's good and he has good plans for you. Just These are God's promises. Let me speak them over you. We trust his promises even when we don't see them to come into fruition. He's still good. He still has promises. We follow where he leads us. We follow his commandments even when it's not convenient, even when we'd rather choose a different path, even when no one around us is choosing God. Amen? We live in a culture that is not choosing God, and it's difficult. It's not second nature to just choose God. But God's calling us to be faithful and saying, choose me, choose my ways, choose my path. This is the right way for you. We choose faithfulness because faithfulness is the character and nature of God. It's who he is. In fact, in Revelation 19, John sees this vision of the future. He sees what's still to happen, and he sees this white horse as heaven opens, and the rider on the white horse is Jesus himself. But John says his name is faithful and true. 
It's the name of Jesus. It's not just something that God is sometimes like. It's who he is. It's his character. It's his name. It's also a name used for God in the Old Testament. Jesus is faithful and true. And God's faithful to us even when we're not faithful to him. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful that he's always faithful? Because we're not. We're actually so similar to those Israelites that, that like, you know, okay, God, I'm with you. I'm serving you. And then I get distracted. And then it gets hard. And then I don't know what I'm doing anymore. And no one around me is serving God. And I fall off. And then I get back on. And God in his mercy always restores us to relationship. God's faithful even when we can't see him working. And I love that the book of Ruth teaches us this, that even when we don't know what he's up to, even when we can't see it, he's still faithful. Did you know that in the book of Ruth, God doesn't speak? In fact, we don't even see God or hear from God at all, but he's still very present. It's not an accident that this book is in the Bible. It's not like all the manuscripts fell on the ground when they were putting the Bible together and that one got stuck in there, right? There's a reason this story is in the Bible because it has something to teach us. It wasn't an accident that, that Ruth landed in Boaz's field and that he, um, he was the one that was going to take care of her. He didn't just care for her above and beyond by accident. None of this happened by accident. God was orchestrating these daily, ordinary events in these ordinary people's lives in the same way that he does in ours. These people faced very normal things that I think we can all identify with. Death, moving, financial burdens, family challenges and family responsibilities. But in it all, we see in Ruth that God's weaving together this beautiful story of redemption in all the details. It's not glamorous, but it's much bigger than they can see. So let's continue with the story. Ruth has been in Boaz's field for the day, and she has this long day. She comes home. In Ruth chapter 2, we pick up the story. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she'd been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. So there's another Jewish law. I said there was two we're going to learn about. The second one is this law that also speaks about the faithfulness of God to vulnerable people. And it's the law of family marriage in Deuteronomy. And it, Andy touched on it at First Wednesday, actually. And it's a law that says that if a woman's husband dies and she has no children, then his brother or next closest relative should marry her in order to carry on that man's name and his legacy, his lineage. So it's not just like, okay, well, your husband died. Find another husband and get on with your life. It's this man actually stepping in and redeeming that family name, that family's um, fortune, if there is, that family's land, and the child actually would carry that man's name. So Boaz was that man for Naomi's family, also known as the guardian redeemer or the kinsman redeemer. Maybe you've heard that name. The kinsman redeemer was responsible to act on behalf of the relative who was in trouble or in danger or had a need. So Boaz is this character we get introduced to, and you need to read the story for yourself. In fact, I think I forgot to mention this, but if you're tracking in the Bible in one year, you probably started reading Ruth today, and so we're at perfect timing, and I encourage you, pick up the Bible, start reading that Bible in a year, start reading the book of Ruth, just get into the Word. We see in the story this man named Boaz who has character, who has integrity, he's responsible, and he shows great kindness and generosity to Ruth. The amazing thing is he does that before he even knows that he's her kinsman redeemer. So... 
Naomi hears about this, and as all good mother-in-laws do, she hatches a plan. She hatches a plan to have Ruth go and make herself available to Boaz in a, in a noble way, actually, an appropriate way. Culturally, this was a custom of the day. She said, would you go while Boaz is sleeping and lay at his feet, just cover yourself with the edge of his garment, and when he wakes up and sees you there, he'll know about your willingness to marry him. That was normal in the day. Not normal today. <laughs> if you wake up and someone's in your bed under your covers at your feet, there's something weird going on. That wasn't the case then. It wasn't inappropriate. It was integrity. It was her showing this humility and submission to become his wife if he was willing. She's not forcing herself, but she goes along with what Naomi's asked her to do. She's loyal to Naomi. There's a complication in the plan, however, because there's actually another man who's a closer relative. So if there's not a brother, the brother has also died, it's the next closest relative. So there's another man who's closer, and he would be eligible uh, to have first right as kinsman redeemer for Ruth. But he realizes he's going to have to give up half of his estate and his land to Ruth and her offspring. And so he politely declines. I, I'll just keep the wife I have or keep whatever I have going on. Thank you, but no thank you. So Boaz once again rises to the occasion as this man of integrity and honor, and he doesn't hesitate to marry Ruth. He redeems her. He redeems Naomi. He redeems her former husband's name and her future. They go on to have a son named Obed, and Obed becomes the grandfather of King David. King David as we see at the end of this book, is in the lineage of Christ himself. Don't you see faithfulness and redemption woven all throughout this story? The faithfulness of God always leads to the redemption of God. That's his plan. That's his master plan through it all, is his redemptive story. This foreigner, this woman who does not belong, she's from Moab, the enemy territory. She now becomes the great-grandmother of King David. Isn't that a beautiful concept? God honors Ruth's faithfulness by weaving her into the greater story of salvation. And this is actually a theme woven through the whole Bible, the story of redemption. Maybe when you read the Old Testament, like all of us, there's parts that it's hard, and you think, what is this book of laws and rules and genealogies? And there's some interesting little Sunday school stories, but other than that, I don't even know how this relates to anything. I'm going to skip ahead to, to Matthew. Um, that's what our kids are. They're reading the Old Testament, doing the Bible in a year, and there's parts where they're like, Dad, help me out here. Like, this is hard. Um, and maybe like them, you think the Old Testament is outdated. It doesn't apply today. But I want you to know that it, the whole thing is actually the story of our kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ, giving up everything, becoming like us. He became a kinsman, which means he was like us. He was a human in flesh and blood. He had the same struggles. He knew what it was like to be human like us. And yet through this perfect life, through his death on the cross and through his resurrection, he wasn't just our kinsman, he was our redeemer. Praise God. So from the picture of this man, Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, we see a picture of a divine redeemer. And it's woven through the story. He redeems all of mankind. And he calls us redeemed. So the eventual son of Obed, David, and the eventual son of David, Jesus, redeems all people now from all nations, no matter where we're from. Most of us are not Israelites. We're not the chosen people. We're not in the inside crowd. And some of us feel even more excluded because of circumstances of life. 
Jesus chose to redeem every person, every lonely person, every stranger, every foreigner, every outsider, and we've all become citizens in God's family, in God's household. If we skip ahead to the New Testament, there's a beautiful verse that explains this in Ephesians chapter 2, and it'll be on the screens. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth, that's most of us, and uncircumcised by those who call them the circumcision, which is done by the, in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel. This is us. You are foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Wow. Okay. But... But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He is our Redeemer. One of the names of Jesus is faithful and true, we already said. But another name of Jesus is our Redeemer. You know, there's a concept that there's a scarlet thread throughout the whole Bible. A single thread running through the Bible and every story weaving this garment of salvation, weaving this beautiful story of salvation from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And if you've never noticed that, I just want you to ask God to open your eyes because you're going to start to see it. There's a a late preacher, W.A. Criswell, and he preached about this scarlet thread and he said this, cut the Bible open at any verse and it will bleed Christ. He's in it all. Everything's about him. Everything points to him. And so would you consider how when you read the Bible, would you ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes? And if you need to, get a commentary that can help you because you're going to start to see Jesus in everything. The Old Testament's not not, uh, antiquated and outdated. It's the story of Jesus. And I've told you guys this before, but I love the Jesus Storybook Bible. I didn't bring our copy today, but we have a bunch in the atrium for sale for families and kids. But it's this beautiful picture of the story of Jesus woven through every story. It doesn't have every story in the Bible. It has kind of the the key ones, but it's just such a beautiful poetic way of finding Jesus in every story. So if you're a parent or um, know of a family, or even if you just want to read it for yourself, honestly, every time I read it, I'm so moved because I see the picture of the scarlet thread through everything. So so would you begin looking for that? Ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes, and he's going to show you this redemptive story. So as we wrap up today, I just want you to think about a couple of things. First, God is calling us to be people who are faithful. Faithfulness, faithful in everything that we are, everything that we have. And our faithfulness, it's always based on the faithfulness of God. It's our response to his faithfulness. Just like we love because he first loved us, we're faithful because he is faithful to us. He's always faithful. And some of you today need to be reminded that the faithfulness of God is big enough for you today. What do you need to trust him for? What do you need to just open your hand and release to him and trust that he is big enough, he's good enough, he's able enough, and he is willing. He's shown that by his work on the cross. He's willing and he's able, and you can trust him. So God is faithful, and he's calling us to be faithful. And second, God's purposes in our lives are always redemptive. You might feel significant, insignificant. You might feel like an outsider, like you don't belong, like things in your life have been so messed up, or, or just like you're living an ordinary life full of the challenges of life, just like the people in this story. I hope you can see from this story that God's constructing this grander story, and even the small, seemingly insignificant moments of picking up wheat in the field, they matter, 
And the people that didn't feel like they had any place in the story, they belonged. They were part of the genealogy of Christ. Ruth didn't belong. She wasn't qualified. She was an outsider. She was, she was far from God, but she chose faithfulness to God because God chose her. And God used her to be this significant and beautiful part of the story of the redemption of God. And God's still doing that. If he was done, then we wouldn't be here. He's not done weaving together this story of redemption, and we're all a part of it. And so even if you don't see the part that you play, let me remind you that God is doing something behind the scenes. He has a master plan. We don't always know the part we play until much later on, or maybe even eternity. I don't know if Ruth lived to see her great-grandson David born. It doesn't tell us how long she lived. Chances are she didn't see him. She for sure didn't see the redemption of Jesus. But she had her faith to believe God for her part in the story. To say, God, right now, would you just use me? This is what's in front of me. I have this woman I need to provide for. I have grain I need to pick up. Such a practical thing. And God used her. She just focused on today, focused on the next step. And if God can use Ruth in this redemptive story, he can certainly use you. Would you believe him for that today? One last verse from 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 24. And it says this, the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Church, you're called. Every one of you is called. Whether you believe it or you've ever heard it or not, you're called and the one who calls you is faithful. So you're called and he's faithful. And that's all we need. Would you just bow with me this morning as we think about this story, think about our lives. As you think about the kinsman redeemer, some of you need to consider that work in your lives for the very first time. Like Boaz, Jesus is related to us by his physical birth, becoming a man. And he was able to pay the price for our redemption through his blood. He was also willing to pay it, just like Boaz. But he's, he's the redeemer for all of humanity. And today, he's your redeemer. All you have to do is reach out and accept it. Like Ruth, you have to choose to accept that redemption and then you leave the transaction up to Jesus. You leave it all up to him. He makes redemption a reality. He brings salvation through him and him alone. And so today, if you've never made that decision to make Jesus Christ your kinsman redeemer, would you just pray this prayer with me right now? Lord Jesus, I accept you as Lord of my life, as the one who's became a man and took on the sin of the world and died on a cross and rose again and became my redeemer. And so today, Lord, would you cleanse me from my sin? Would you redeem me from my past and give me a hope and a future? I choose to submit my life to you, Jesus. I want to walk with you all the days of my life. Thank you that you're using me in the plan and purposes of your kingdom. Maybe God's calling you to be faithful with what you have or with who he's put in your life. Let's let the fruit of faithfulness grow in our lives. Let's be people that are faithful, where faithfulness flourishes in us. Would you choose today to be faithful? Maybe God's speaking to you about an area of your life where you just need to choose faithfulness. You need to say yes again and again. Keep your eyes fixed in the right direction. Don't look to the left or the right. Don't give up. Don't sink back. Just keep on going. Be faithful to who he's called you to and be faithful to what he's called you to. Maybe you need to trust that God hasn't forgotten you. And he's always working, even when you can't see it. 
So Lord, today we trust your faithfulness. We trust God that you are weaving together a plan and we get to be part of it. And so Lord, even when we can't see what you're doing, we know that you're working. We know that you're sovereign. Lord, we wanna be faithful just as you are faithful. And so we respond with faithfulness, with loyalty, and we keep our eyes fixed on the cross and we say, God, you are doing something good and we wanna be part of it. And so whatever you've put in our hand, whoever you've put in our life, Lord, we honor that. We just submit to your lordship and we say, God, we want to be faithful as you've been faithful. So give us strength, give us courage to rise up and be people that are written into the great redemption story of God. We trust you. We trust you with the things we can't see. We trust you with the things we don't know. We trust that you're at work, God. And so have your way in our lives and lead us in faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, church.